This is a podcast by The Straits Times. This is Audrey Tan for The Straits Times in Greenhouse, a new Straits Times podcast on all things environment. Today, my guests are Mr. Marcus Schwa, Memo Researcher at the National University of Singapore's Lee Kong Chen Natural History Museum, and Mr. Stephen Bing, Chair of the Nature Society Singapore's Marine Conservation Group. Today, we are here to discuss what is probably the most charismatic marine mammal to be ever found in Singapore, a sperm whale. She was found in 2015 floating off Jurong Island with a gash in her back. She's the first sperm whale to be found in Singapore and hence presents scientists with a treasure trove of information. So recently, a team of scientists published their findings on what they discovered from her carcass. Uh, Marcus, you were the lead author of the latest paper and you were also involved in the discovery and the processing of the carcass when the whale was discovered. So can you share more about what was it like when you first received the call that a whale had appeared in Singapore's waters? I received a call in the morning of 10 July 2015. The whale was actually first seen by someone who worked on at Jurong Island and he posted a picture on the internet. And a volunteer actually saw it and notified me that there was such such, such thing happening. So we got confirmation from Acres, who also got reports. And then we decided that this is something that we would want to salvage. So we made several calls to NEA, to MPA, and they managed to position, pinpoint where the whale is. And so we decided we needed an ops plan. We needed to get our staff and interns who could go down to do the salvage. And at the same time, a member of the press called, which was Audrey. So we roped her and her fellow journalists along and we headed down to Jurong Island to try to salvage the whale. So that was on the first day. And it subsequently took a total of 70 days before we could process the carcass and bring it back to the museum. And we tried to get as much information as we could from this carcass because it was really in a state of decomposition. We tried to save as much as we could. So can you share more with us about what were the important findings that you made from her carcass? Like what did you find from her DNA and from the contents of her stomach? We tried to get as much information from the dead animal as possible. So that include every shred of detail that we could get. So from her DNA, we could tell that she actually belonged to a, a lineage that is most common in all oceans, but it's most common in off the Sea of Japan as well as the Southern Indian Ocean. We combined it with information about how she died. She was found with a huge gash on her back, which was mostly caused by a ship strike injury, and also the drift patterns. So the drift pattern modeling from coastal currents indicated that she probably drifted from the Straits of Malacca after she died and her stomach contents that told us that she ate mostly squids, octopus, fish, and some remains of pyrosomes, which are a group of glowing sea animals. And there was also a depressing reminder that of the pollution of the ocean because uh, we found plastics in the stomach. And some of these plastics actually pinpoint a location of where they were made. So it, I think three or four pieces of plastic indicated that they were made in Indonesia. So all this information came together and suggests that she was probably from a part of Cocos Killing Island, which is south of Indonesia, and probably died somewhere along that area and then drifted into Singapore from the Straits of Malacca. So I guess with all the recent videos floating around the internet showing turtles with straws in their noses, we shouldn't be surprised to find that plastic has been found in the gut of the whale. So, I mean, in your paper, you reference some findings about plastic use in the region. Were you surprised personally when you cut open her stomach and found all those plastic items in it? No, we were not really surprised because we've read information or reports about whales that have died around the world and plastics have been found in them. And in fact, in sperm whales, plastic started appearing sometime in the 1970s. Before that, rubbish that were found in the stomach include things like driftwood, rubber parts, but starting from the 1970s, plastic started appearing. 
And in recent years, it's been found to cause the death of at least two or three whales because of the rupturing of their stomachs or blockage of their intestines. So, Stefan, you run a dive centre and you have led dives around the region. Were you surprised to learn that the sperm whale found in Singapore had a stomach which contained remnants of plastic items? I, uh, not surprising at all. I spent most of the last 20 years traveling in Indonesia and Philippines. We're blessed geographically for having deep water around. So we have actually witnessed and observed sperm whales apart from others around places like Manado and Papua and, and the Ambon Sea. Even the smaller whales, uh, we would think it was a Brutus that was off of uh, Tioman just once and then minkies going up Phuket. But then these breeding grounds, supposedly, especially in Timor-Leste and deeper waters, we were told, were also dumping grounds that we observed. Rafts of rubbish and plastics, and very often we'd swim both on the surface and underwater in literally a sea of garbage. So it's prevalent everywhere. I think it's not just one place or one site that has a rubbish problem. As you go towards the island nations and archipelagic nations, then you find that infrastructure may be a problem and Waste disposal has limitations. Also in villages, there are traditional ways where they sweep the village. It's usually in the old days, coconut leaves and whatnot, and dumping in the in the sea may not have been a really obvious problem. Uh, but then with the introduction of other materials, you'd find then this traditional way of dumping rubbish into the sea would have a very bad impact. Now, just like our conversation-style podcast so far, do subscribe to the Straits Times podcast on Apple's iTunes or on Google Podcasts or even on Spotify, and like us and give us a rating. So now back to our conversation on Singapore's very own Moby Dick with Mr. Marcus Chua, mammal researcher at the National University of Singapore's Lee Kong Chen Natural History Museum, and Mr. Stephen Bing, chair of the Nature Society Singapore's Marine Conservation Group. So well, I, for one, was very excited when I first learned that a sperm whale had been found in Singapore's waters. But Stephen, you have spent so much time diving and snorkeling around Singapore's waters. Did it surprise you at all? To find a whale here, it, it, was, uh, it was definitely a nice surprise. It answered some curious questions from a non-scientific point of view, whether, you know, every time we see a whale in Indonesia, for example, we wonder what its behavior is and whether it really passed by our waters at all. So, yeah, it's always a wow factor to see. We've seen as many dead whales on our travels as we've seen live ones. But just the sheer size, its significance, from a layperson's point of view, we also observed that they have a good position in the ecosystem. They're engineers, right? They distribute as much as they eat and contribute to the ecosystem. They also uh, dump. So that's definitely something significant, washing up on our shores, seeing the, the connectedness that we have via the ocean and the movements and the currents, the currents and the water flow. It brings life, but in this case, for plastics, it brings destruction as well. Marcus, can you share more about the other kinds of marine mammals that we have in Singapore? Because the whale is not the first marine mammal to be discovered in our waters, right? Yes, yeah, so over the years, there have been several other marine mammals that have been found. Most of them are toothed whales, so they include dolphins, porpoises. But we also have a very charismatic non-whale, which is a dugong, also known as a sea cow, that has been found around the waters of Singapore. And they're not easy to see. But we have seen tracks of them uh, feeding off seagrass. So they're basically like the lawnmowers of the sea. They crop the grass and you can see patches of bare grass. We know that they've been here. 
So, but like whales and other cetaceans, they are just the tip of the iceberg. In 2014, Singapore announced that it will designate the Sisters Islands Marine Park as its first ever marine park in Singapore. So, Stefan, can you share more about like what divers can expect to see underwater at SIMP? Well, I could go on forever, but I think it boils back down to the purpose of our very first marine park and its goal to preserve, protect and restore the area. And it's our first, very first marine protected area. What we experience is for a small area, 40 hectares, and even smaller within that area where we dive, it's an observation of just life, right? It's living, there's feeding, there's breeding going on on the tiny reefs that we have fringing off our islands. There's breeding both and feeding behaviors that we can observe both above and below water. And the ecosystems actually support a very, very high diversity of hard corals, as we know. And from that, then... It supports all sorts of life from, from apex predators like reef sharks and shrimps, turtles, and then, of course, coming up to the coastline where we have coastal forests, mangroves, seagrasses, and then, of course, the life on, in the air as well. So lots of seabirds and lots of eagles too. So there's, a, there's a exciting times for the Sisters Islands Marine Park because it's not just about biodiversity. It's also about the rich geology and the history it brings with it as well as the people that used to live there. I think as far as the whale is concerned, I think Marcus brought up quite a few examples of the, the cetaceans that we have here. But just a few years ago on National Day itself, part of humpback, Indo-Pacific humpback dolphins together with a calf swam just right above the dive trails at Sisters Islands. You've got really interesting species like the Neptune's cup sponge that was recently found, thought to be extinct Last observed over 100 years ago until some divers actually found them. And from the time that we launched the marine park in 2014, more individuals have been found. So it's become a refuge for threatened species as well. So I guess many Koreans may not know about the life underwater because out of sight, out of mind. But um, Marcus, you work mainly on land. So can you tell us about what you find surprising about terrestrial life in Singapore? Right, so terrestrial life in Singapore, what's most obvious to us when we move around Singapore is that we still have forests around. And although our forests are small, but they are super rich, super diverse and super precious, a huge variety of life, including plants form the backbone of it. In it, you can find species such as lapid cats, pangolins, mouse deer. These are some of the larger ones that people can relate to, wild pigs as well. So the pangolins have recently been in news. They've been one of the most trafficked mammal in the world. Recently, we had Singapore AVA, which is now NPARKS, has found two shipments, which are both the largest in the world. So it's a species that is critically endangered in the world, but they seem to be doing all right in Singapore. We also have invertebrates like freshwater crabs in Singapore's forests, which are found nowhere else in the world. We have at least two species or three species like that, and there is a conservation plan for one of them. And we talk about not only the forest, but the mangroves where the land meets the sea. Over there, we can find things like flies. You might think, oh, what's so interesting about flies? We've got so many species of flies that have been discovered in Singapore. And species like horseshoe crabs, even the crab, mud crabs are the species that people go to seafood restaurants to eat. But actually you can find them in Singapore. So there is a whole lot of ecosystems, services that all these habitats give as well. And one thing that I think has captured the heart of a lot of Singaporeans is that some species that have gone away have returned, like the otters that we now see in, say, Bishan Park or Gardens by the Bay. There's one point of time where they seem to have disappeared from Singapore. But I think because of how we've planned the city and how we've conserved some of these pockets of nature, some of these are slowly coming back, which is, I think, a good sign. 
So how do you guys think Singaporeans can get to know this wilder side of Singapore and see all these animals that, I don't know, would spark people's imagination? On the topic of the marine park, there's, there's actually a community that works together and they come together as what we now call Friends of the Marine Park. It's a collection, it's an assemblage of uh, groups that contribute together to the success of our first marine park. And that, that's really important. So from there, we've got citizen science programs, for example, that NUS and N Parks have a project on marine debris to deal with pollution and to come up with solutions for arresting the sources. TMSI, the Marine Lab on St. John's, and the Resource Manager in NPARCS, and NSS, as just an NGO, have started work on an invasive mussel species that comes all the way from South America. And that's going on and developing into a wider biosecurity plan, hopefully. And people can get involved with that, you know, come into the community. But that's not all. We've got for divers, our Singapore reefs are doing a great job with underwater cleanups and, and doing that regularly. And that's for the layperson to come in. Huntu bloggers goes out all the time and they expanded out of Hantu and gotten involved with community work on biodiversity as well. So I could go on, uh, the boaters, you know, the kayaking companies that are involved also to make sure that they bring people to the, to the marine park and, and to the other areas in, and islands that we have. And so too do the boating industry players. So lots to do. Uh, NPARCS also has turtle patrols, so they can join in and learn how to um, identify turtle tracks, whether it's a hog's bill or a green. And then obviously we've got the passionate volunteers that bring people out on intertidal walks. I'll echo uh, what Stefan has said, his call to get out. So there are a lot of nature activities that people can join, guided walks. There is also the Festival of Biodiversity that takes place once a year. And over the year, we noticed that a lot of people like to hang out in shopping malls or, or the zoos or air-conditioned areas. So instead of trying to attract and entice them to the nature areas, why not we reach out to them in their natural habitat, which is the shopping malls first. We, so we bring specimens, nature groups go down together, come together once a year over a weekend to talk to them about uh, wildlife in Singapore. And of course, visit the Natural History Museum, which is in NUS. All these activities actually are quite synergistic. We actually cross-promote, go here, go there, what's on this weekend. And there is actually a, a website that actually compiles all of this, and that is Wild Singapore. That's a like, one-stop place where you can find out what's going on in nature uh, in Singapore all year round. Okay, so thank you, Stefan and Marcus, for joining us on our show. Thanks, Audrey. Thanks for having us. So, well, that's a wrap for this Green Pulse episode on biodiversity in Singapore. So do subscribe to the Straits Times podcast on Apple's iTunes or on Google Podcasts or even on Spotify and like us and give us a rating. That was an SPH podcast. Find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts and streaming on Google Home. Do send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at straightstimes.com and bt.sg.